Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. As always, I'm Kennedy Cooper. Brandon Buchanan here. And we have with us a guest today who is running for State House in Ohio in the 47th District. Welcome to the show, Nancy Larson. Yay! Thank you. Yeah, we're so excited to talk to you. Uh, like we mentioned before the show starts, we actually really enjoy talking to state level politicians because you're usually really invested in specific issues that affect your community. And those things are interesting to discuss. So we have some things that we're excited to discuss with you today. But before we get into any specific topics, if you could just tell everybody kind of who you are and why you decided to run. Well, I got to first start out and say this is my very first podcast ever. Oh, so. wow. Wow. <laughs> so I will Wait. not be a virgin <sighs> after this one. So <laughs> have, you, have you at least listened to podcasts before this? Yes, one? I, have. Right. I have. What are, what are some of your what are some? Wait, what are some of your favorites? Well, I, I don't know if it's technically a podcast, but I like TYT. We, yeah, sure. They're a podcast. That's yep. their roots. Yeah. But we have um, a guy here whose name is Julian Mack, and he does uh, a little program for local people. And uh, another person who's Amjad Jumani, who does a cool kind of music and interview, political interviews with people. And I've caught him um, some. So, yeah, it's and the moth. I love the moth. Oh, the moth is great, of course. So I I am a um, social worker by trade. I've worked for 40 years and decided in 2016 that I really needed to change my focus from trying to just help individuals and groups and that all of the macro things that I've tried to help people figure out how to deal with were in serious need of uh, my attention if I could get into the seat. Um, so I switched my focus from smaller, you know, change making to hopefully in in the state house and in Columbus. Um, there was a solicitation from Emily's list saying that my district was in serious need of a pro-choice Democratic woman to run against the Yahoo that is there now. <laughs> and I looked at his record and said, oh, my God, yeah, he's got to go. I did try to recruit um, younger people from some of my organizations, but, um, you know, I got kids. I'm working 60 hours a week. Um, a lot of people just didn't have the time to throw toward it. And at this point in my life and my career, I am I closed out my practice and kind of decided I would focus on trying to have this be the next chapter of my service to the world. Well, Nancy, that's just a, a wonderful story. And um, you have a lot of very interesting topics that you're very passionate about, which we were uh, like kind of excited reading about some of the things that you're into and some of the things that you believe. One of the very biggest things that seems to be crucial for your district is Lake Erie and the protection of that lake. Um, you support something called the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. Could you explain to our audience what that is and why it's so important? LIBOR, which is the acronym for Lake Erie Bill of Rights, was the very first rights of nature legislation that was passed in the country. Um, Toledo is incredible. Um, people have a mental image of it. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, um, have lived in Toledo for 30 years, but 
there's some incredible activist stuff going on here and groundbreaking things. And this was one of them. Um, the lake has had algal blooms. And in 2014, because of climate change and too much phosphorus being run off into the lake from factory farms, we had an algae bloom that meant the water was not able to be used for drinking or bathing for a four-day period. And um, a group of activists got together and tried to make the EPA and the Department of Agriculture do their job to regulate and discovered shockingly that they weren't willing to do their job <laughs> so they mounted a ballot initiative to get uh the lake to have its own personhood similar to the way citizens united gave corporations personhood that the lake would be declared in need of protection by the citizens that we could sue the entities that are polluting and corrupting it because the lake has a right to exist and and flourish and the ballot initiative passed um, a year and a half or so ago, and that was a really cool victory. And like I said, it's the very first rights of nature legislation that happened in the entire United States. The um, woman, Marky Miller, who was the local activist, was invited to the United Nations. She gave a five-minute presentation on it. She's gotten invitations to go to various countries, Japan, Germany, um, Sweden, I believe, and basically help them with how she mounted this effort and to take a look at protecting nature. It's worth noting that um, in the campaign... Well, uh, this is Quinn Albright, who is my super incredible 18-year-old campaign manager. <laughs> and that's uh, absolutely yes, great. Quinn, we are also very glad to have you. And yeah, we all know Quinn from like before we started recording. But, uh, you know, Leia uh, has also run a campaign. I think she was your age at the time that she ran it. Uh, if she was available, I would have loved for y'all to bond over it. But yeah, go ahead and add a little bit about the bill. Uh, so something worth mentioning, I think, is that the Lake Erie Bill of Rights uh, came up against a massive amount of, of corporate spending um, from who, after the uh, election ended and the FEC filings came out, uh, came to be uh, BP, I believe. Uh, they spent, I, I think it was $200,000, um, perhaps even more than that, uh, to try and defeat the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. Uh, the campaign for, uh, in contrast, spent around 6000 um, And despite that, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights ended up passing with more than 65% of the vote. Did you see any advertisement for it or any media uh, telling people to vote against the Lake Erie Bill of Rights? And if so, Bombard. what kind of arguments were... All right, what kind of... Because we, on this show, we talk a little bit about how corporate attacks on communities can be really pernicious, and we talked about that in an earlier episode, uh, and they're not always obvious. So what kind of arguments were made against that Bill of Rights? There's this uh, great organization called CellDef, that helps communities organize themselves to uh, pass this type of legislation to protect themselves against fracking, against pollution, against pipelines, and so on and so forth. And um, CELDEF uh, was a... Which stands for Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. Yep. And um, they were supportive of the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, and so uh, these BP uh, executives, who, as it turned out, were based out of Texas, 
We're accusing Celdef of being a out-of-state <laughs> extremist group uh, threatening jobs in the area. Oh, wow. Um, which was, you know... It, it, as with so much with this administration, it was total projection because the people who were trying to shoot it down were out of town, totally disinterested, uh, you know, parties. And Celdef worked with local activists and were intimately paired to make this ballot initiative work. But yeah, they tried to say, you know, community, we there's these outside agitators that are coming in here and you don't want to give them uh, control over your resources and you should vote this down. But uh, people didn't vote, didn't fall for that. But as it applies to my district, um, part of it is Western Lucas County and the drinking water does come from Lake Erie for that part of the district. Uh, water is an issue for Fulton County, which is the other county that I would be representing and they have their own uh, issue to, to try to deal with. But to finish off on the, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, the state of Ohio was not happy that this got passed. They do not want the people to have democratic power to take this into their own hands. And there was a representative who put a rider into the budget that was passed, essentially taking away people's right to sue and nullifying what that ballot initiative did. And it's more than aggravating uh, that they don't recognize the leadership that's that's here to protect the environment and will stoop to nothing to gut environmental protections, whether on a federal or a state level. And this has been a repeated issue. Um, the Republicans, um, you know, sort of at the federal level, talk big game about states' rights and local governance and all of that. But at the state level, it's a very starkly different reality where they... Um, They've repeatedly attacked um, the ability of localities to self-govern. Um, when Cleveland, I believe it was, stepped in uh, to put a ban on uh, handguns at the local level, um, the state government almost immediately overturned that. There are several localities that have um, you know, been overruled on, on a number of issues. And the Republicans really seem to only be invested in like local small government insofar as it is, um, you know, to protect their corporate donors from any kind of like regulation and certainly consequences. Yeah. I mean, like Brandon said, this is something that we've really like tried to focus on a little bit as a podcast is the way that corporate money, we think of corporate money a lot as influencing federal politics. But when you take those millions and millions of dollars and you put them at the local scale, it's all the more devastating to people's ability to engage in politics. Um, on the subject of people's ability to engage in politics, something you're uh, passionate about is protecting people's right to vote. I think in a state like Ohio, uh, this is pretty critical because this is a state where we've seen some deliberate attacks on people's rights to vote. Um, could you talk about some of the things that are going on in your state and some of the things that you would do to combat it in state house? Uh, I have been a member of the League of Women Voters for a couple years. That was the first organization that I got involved in when things started to really go sour. And, you know, that I knew 
we are in serious trouble here. And um, again, with the ballot initiative, we put on to address the gerrymandering that is extreme in this state. And we were able to successfully get that passed, and it would have a bipartisan commission with some citizen involvement to redraw the districts in a fair way. Uh, of course, that was not um, acceptable, so it it went to the federal appeals level, and three judges looked at that and unanimously said, yes, yeah, so severely gerrymandered in Ohio as to actually be preventing democracy, because no matter how the districts vote on the popular vote level, it is designed to keep a supermajority of Republicans in the state house. And uh, um, ACLU was the lawsuit League of Women Voters. They looked at the every two years, each election for the last 10 years from when the um, districts were drawn after the last census, and clear, no way that that percentage of um, I don't know. It, it's eight to no, twelve to four, I believe. Um, that sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, like that. It it just wasn't going to budge compared no. to like forty-five to fifty percent of the vote. Um, you know, Republicans do generally win the popular vote count uh, in Congress narrowly, but um, you know, it's about half and half and despite that democrats control i you know a not that percentage of the seats it's not even close to represent uh, representative at all so we have a very active league of women voters in um toledo in surrounding areas the woman that heads it up in columbus is uh, she was with the sierra club and now she's in, jen miller she's incredible very activist um, women that are not okay with this. We've also had the voter purging going on where people that haven't voted in two election cycles are getting removed from the polls. So there's been efforts to call those people. They reportedly were supposed to get a postcard telling them that if they didn't respond, they would be purged. Um, I don't know how conscientious they've been about sending those postcards out but we did through with the democratic party do some phone banking and a lot of those folks had passed they had moved but there is some proportion of them that were inaccurately taken off of the roll so trying to find them get them re-registered uh, the league is is involved in efforts to register we go to and the naturalization ceremonies that often have 50 or 60 people becoming naturalized citizens and we're there to get them registered right out of the gate. And we do voter drives on college campuses and essentially try to educate people in that manner. But going back to um, the gerrymandering decision at the federal court, they that was bounced up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And as I'm sure you know, they decided they weren't going to get involved. Um, yes, it's terribly unfair, but we're not going to rule on it, and it's up to the state. So our state, because of its gerrymandering, has a preponderance of Republicans on the Ohio Supreme Court, too. States oh, sure, rights avoid democracy. Yeah, so it's just like at every, every avenue 
being thwarted and we just have to fight on every every we did get two democrats onto the supreme court in 2018 there are two tremendous democrats that are running for supreme court and if we can manage to get those two on then we would have a, a four to three majority finally for the first time in in ages and they would be serious about addressing the gerrymandering. So I, when I'm talking to people, I'm asking them to vote for me, but I am also telling them, you, here's the two, it's Jennifer Bruner and John O'Donnell, and you need to vote for them and get them on the Supreme Court because without it being a Democratic Ohio Supreme Court, we're going to have a, a heck of a time to reverse the voter um, suppression that's going on here. Yeah. Uh, I am from Georgia, and trust me, we have had uh, very similar issues and a very similar story to what y'all are going through uh, in Ohio. Uh, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of organization. Uh, I think the League of Women Voters is, you know, potentially one of those organizations that will help turn the tide in your state. Um, most people don't know anything about the League of Women Voters besides that they used to put on debates in the 80s. We are the descendants of the suffragists. We will have our 100th year anniversary of women getting the right to vote in 2020. And the women that finally got women the right to vote formed um, 100 years ago into the League of Women Voters. And the, the mission was the same back then as it is now. Educate people about who's running, uh, support people getting to the polls, Back then, they actually accompanied women because they were getting harassed and, you know, told that they weren't welcome, they weren't allowed to vote, so they would be bodyguards and go with them to the poll to make sure for, that they had safe passage. Maybe um, we should bring that back in 2020. I don't know how yes. hectic it's going to get. Yes. It really seems like the last couple of elections, there were polling places around the country that could have benefited from that. That's for sure. Yep, yep. So uh, we're happy to be celebrating the 100th anniversary. There's a lot of activities that are planned locally, and uh, I'm not sure on a national level. I, I don't pay attention to that level of the, of the field, but um, that is what happened to the women that were successful. They decided right then that they needed this organization to publish a guide as to who is in in uh, office, addresses, phone numbers, emails, so people can pick that up at local libraries here and find out who their reps are, how to contact them. We do debates. That is one of the big ones is to have a um, town hall and, and a debate forum. If but it's, it's strictly bipartisan, if both sides do not show up, then the league cannot sponsor that debate. That has to be both sides. Otherwise, it's not it's not fair and they will not put their stamp on it. So they have a really strong reputation as being um, fair minded and bipartisan, which is I, I really appreciate because I'm I'm strongly, obviously progressive and, and um, running as a Democrat. But when I do my league activities, the hat that I have on is you know, if you're going to, if I'm registering kids on a college campus and you're conservative, I will be as thrilled to get you registered, even though you're going to be voting your way, because it's just so important to have everybody participate. I wonder if they, if they knew a hundred years ago that they'd be fighting some of the same battles now, 
in terms of oh, education God. and things like that. I know, I know. I, I I don't know. We because of that history, you know, I have heard from the state people that you know this is the we're fighting a long game here, and not to get discouraged and give up when we have the setbacks. There there really is a sense that we're standing, you know, on the shoulders of these women that did this a hundred years ago, and that. If the world is still here a hundred years later, we may be unfortunately doing some of the same battles. Uh, how did you meet Quinn Albright, and uh, what have you two <laughs> learned from each other since you started working together? Oh my God, I told him that if he wanted me to help him get elected, I'd be happy to do that. But he pointed <laughs> out he was, you know, still in high school, so um, <laughs> I went to an hour revolu- our, our rev uh, meeting. It was a uh, run. It was the um, before Bernie entered the uh, primary. Uh, there was a, a a few organizations that encouraged him to run, including uh, Progressive Democrats of America, Our Revolution, um, a few other organizations, and some prominent individuals. Most of which are not coming to my head right now. Um, and as part of this run, Bernie run thing, they did house parties around the country, um, encouraging him to run. And I met uh, Nancy at one of those, and uh, she said she may be running for state house. And I offered to do um, uh, web design for her website for her campaign, and that sort of spun out over a few months into a sort of wider role on the campaign. So, yeah, he came up to me afterwards and said, "I I did a mock up website for a class that I'm taking here. You can look at it." see if you think it's any good. And I, I said, was this for a college class? Said, no, no, no. My, I'm a junior in high school. And <laughs> it was quite good enough for me. And I said, wonderful. So um, I'm technologically challenged and a, a, a troglodyte. Did had a flip phone that I had had for 15 years, and I would pull that out at indivisible meetings, and the women were like, "If you are serious about this, you have got to get rid of that and get a smartphone." <laughs> <laughs> no one is going to take you serious. <laughs> and I said, "Okay, the time has come where I guess I have to." So um, Quinn has taught me everything I know about technology and I can, I have an iPad and I'm, you know, on Twitter and all of these <laughs> things that I avoided like the plague up till this point, but um, I'm getting more comfortable with, with it and know that it's important as a way of communicating. Particularly with like young people who really have to be a part of the political revolution, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, if we want to have any hope of, um, you know, turning this country um, into a place that works for, you know, everyone and not just a handful of billionaires, right? Um, Absolutely. So yeah. for me, one of the coolest things has been to, I, I have two kids that are in the, my daughter's 32 and my son's going to be 30 shortly. And they live in the Denver area in Boston, so they're not around. So going to the Young Dems meeting or the Young Muslim Dems or um, DSA meetings and having these millennials, it's just, it's really neat because my my kids are not local. And uh, I just draw from the energy and the strength that I get from them and their passion and their involvement 
and it's just it's neat to have it be um you know the other people on my team are boomers and then there's Quinn <laughs> and it's it's just a neat cross-generational um thing to experience yeah absolutely and I mean we know that a lot of the districts that flipped in 2018 flipped in part because of registering lots of new voters and in particular, lots of young voters. So this is definitely a way to uh, kind of change politics is if you can get your message to the right people. Um, yeah, so let's get into another uh, subject that you're big about on social media and also just big about in general um, and is a very critical important subject uh which is abortion rights and a woman's right to choose and um in particular i i think um i'd like to start off by asking i think a lot of times when people are thinking about abortion rights um they are thinking about the hyde amendment they're thinking about roe v wade um they're not really thinking about what's going on at their local level but actually in the last few years in particular we've seen abortion rights be more of a state battle so what's kind of the status of the abortion rights uh battle in your state what's the incumbent for your seat uh kind of doing about it and what would you do instead um what i really want to do instead is repeal and replace him because he is the spearhead of trying to get Roe v. Wade overturned in yeah. the country. Yeah. Um, he is a far, far right evangelical Tea Party Federalist Society person who the national right to life thought was too extreme. Let that, mm, let that sink that's, in. That's pretty <laughs> he, he is so, let, let that sink in for a minute. He's so extreme <laughs> anti-abortion that he was denounced by right to life as too anti-abortion. That's like when the, the, the vampires won't let you into their blood drinking club because you drink too much blood. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. His uh, dad was a Baptist minister and this gentleman has taken it on himself to put his particular conscience into uh, legislation. And he and uh, another female legislator who's Republican co-wrote what they I, I refer to as the so-called heartbeat bill. Um, this was passed in Ohio and the way that they do language just fries me. It, like the right to life, quote unquote, which is anything but right to life, in my opinion, the heartbeat bill is a bill that bans abortion after there's supposedly a heartbeat audible. It's not a heartbeat. It, the organ is not formed at that point in gestation. It is a collection of cells that does make a pulse on a sonogram. And it's six weeks is the point at which this bill outlaws all abortion. Completely. I, if I understand correctly, there's not for for medical reasons. And the uh, penalty which people can be held under applies to um, to doctors who can be charged with murder up to and including the death penalty, uh, which is, you know, 
Awful yeah, ironic as, when you consider. As I understand the, uh, it, what your what your opponent supports here is just not even grounded in any kind of medical science at all. Well, that's that's another bill too. Well, that's the ectopic pregnancy bill. But what he got through that is currently sitting there in the queue to get into uh, a hearing at the Supreme Court level is this heartbeat bill. There is no exception for rape or incest victims. They specifically did not allow even those women or girls or teenagers to have the right to an abortion post that six-week period. It's extremely draconian. And um, listening, I was in the state house in the gallery listening to that be, quote-unquote, debated. And a lot of the Democrats that are there were women. They were women of color. They were willing to tell their personal stories. And the Republican males, for the most part, on the other side of the aisle were looking at their watches. They were reading their Bibles. They were paying no attention at all. It was so disgusting. So I saw him in action for the first time at that point. Um, and I was horrified and thought this this is not acceptable. The other bill that you mentioned has been just, it's more recent. It's the um, ectopic pregnancy bill. And it was handed to these guys, I think, by Alec. And the um, person who pa was not my guy, Derek, is, was not involved in drafting this legislation or putting it forth, but he did sign on as one of the, I think, 19 Republican legislators who supported it. And it says that if there's an ectopic pregnancy, which is uh, a pregnancy that occurs outside of the uterus, generally it's in the fallopian tubes, and when the egg is fertilized, it gets stuck in the tube and doesn't progress to the uterus. So it's growing in the tube, and most likely what or what usually happens is when it gets to a certain diameter, it will burst the tube, and the woman is in extreme danger of bleeding out internally. It's generally a medical emergency, and she needs immediate care for her life to be saved. This bill says that an ectopic pregnancy, the doctor is supposed to try to find the embryo or and take that collection of cells and re-implant it into the womb which is a medical procedure that does not exist not has never been done but if the doctor doesn't try to do that and that that's if that's not his priority or her priority then they can be charged with murder and as quinn was saying face uh capital it would be a capital offense. It's just unbelievable, really. It's insane. It's like totally insane. After this hit the airwaves and people started, you know, being aware of this, they got some blowback, of course. And the guy who had put it forth kind of admitted that he didn't write it. It, it came to them from the anti-abortion groups that are just coming up with the most extreme things to try to get it to the Supreme Court so Roe v. Wade would be uh, looked at and overturned. He said, well, I'm not a doctor. How am I supposed to know that this isn't a <laughs> medical procedure that's done? <laughs> and people are like, can I swear on your program? Yes. <laughs> yes are you, you fucking go, kidding me? You can go crazy. 
Yes, you're not a doctor. So why the hell are you writing or proposing this legislation that doesn't even exist and charging people with murder if they don't do something that doesn't exist? It's really galling because these people are right. Uh, you know, they, they spend a lot of money on campaign contributions and they basically write wish lists. They write fantasy policy and people yep. just put it in. Um, and it's good that there was organization against it. And it's one of those things that's so bad on its face that it becomes easier to rally opposition to because you yep. alienate just anybody with that kind of a naked grab for power. Well, this was why the right to life even said these people are like so whacked, but <laughs> the heartbeat bill went through and it's it was immediately um you know held up and it, as i said it's it's not in effect right this second because it has to be heard but they it doesn't stop them from churning out more and more craziness and the right. my opponent is a large part of of that that's his agenda Hey, let me ask you another question. I live in the state of Georgia, and we literally just passed the heartbeat bill last year. Um, mm -hmm. And in the wake of that, a lot of people wanted to pull their businesses out of the state. Um, what would you no, tell? No, we, we've had we've had none of that here. No, nobody that I've heard. Like people are fine. Ohio is more conservative, I think, than Georgia. I don't um, know about that one. I mean, you guys, you guys did blew on at least the national level once in a while. We've been really getting yeah, but, but Republicans have controlled the state house, state senate, and governor's mansion basically un in uninterrupted since the 1970s. Um, uh, there was uh, Ted Strickland who held the governor's mansion for four years from, I believe, 2006 to 2010. But other than that, it's been complete uninterrupted Republican trifecta for the past, you know, 40-odd years. And um, Georgia, uh, Stacey Abrams came shockingly close, did, frankly, win that election. And the only reason she's not the governor of Georgia right now is because, um, what's his name? i uh, not coming to me right now. Uh, yeah, Brian Kemp. You want to teach me yeah. about the state of Georgia politics, young man? We'll throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but I mean, yeah, you know. But um, just just shutting down voting stations in like black communities and just awful things along those lines. Liter literally losing votes by the ten thousands in the state, yeah. uh, like some really old school like mafioso type mm -hmm. stuff. So with that, here's something that we both have in common because Georgia is doing a lot to kind of flip the tenor of their state. What's the composition of your district like? And what is being done to kind of change the political composition? And how, how close do you guys think you are to doing that? I, I wanted to go back for a second before we do that question. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. There was a Baldwin Wallace is a college near here. They did a they always do a pretty reliable political polling. And about a week before the heartbeat bill was being voted on, they had a poll about support for that or not. And 43 percent were opposed to it 41 percent were in favor with the remainder not sure so that's that was a stunning statistic when i saw that because i thought it would there'd be a bigger bigger break for being opposed to it 
that's that's pretty neck and neck. The poll had a, a two or three percent margin of error. So it, the national climate of 70 some percent of people being fine and thinking Roe v. Wade is settled law and should remain settled law. The people in Ohio are not to that point of acceptance of a woman's right to choose. So I, I've been advised to tread lightly. The Democrat who ran in 2018 said he never brought it up as an issue. He would say he was for women's rights if they if he was questioned about it, but it was not a platform statement. It is absolutely something that I feel I need to 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 talk about because when you ask what's the demographic, suburban women and even rural women, I'm hoping that when they talk to me and I talk to them, that I can discuss that issue frankly and factually and get their vote and have them understand how important this is for them, their granddaughters, their daughters. It's just, I, I am not, not going to talk about it. It is a central thing of why this guy needs to be removed from that office. Hey, uh, so for people who are trying to have those conversations in their own lives, uh, how do you have those conversations? What, what kind of things do you say to make those arguments? There was a older gentleman, like probably in his 70s at the Fulton County Fair, which is the rural county that I would be representing. And we had engaged in a, a pretty lengthy conversation about other things and somehow wandered into the issue of abortion. And he told me, you know, he was against it. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you for this scenario. We, I mean, we discussed it for a little while, but I I wanted to try this out with him and see how it flew. I said, imagine that your granddaughter, who's 22 years old, is living with you. And her, she's married. She got married two years ago, and she and her husband live with you. And they've been desperately trying to have a, a child. And they really, really, really want a baby. And she finds out that she's pregnant, and everybody's delighted. They're just over the moon with happiness. And three months into her being pregnant, somebody knocks on the door and tells her that, you know, sorry, but they just passed a law outlawing any more babies being born. There's, there's too many. The world's overpopulated. You cannot have that baby. And we are taking you right now to have an abortion on you. And she's weeping and crying. And the granddad is like, he was like, you mean like a forced abortion? And he said, that would be terrible. And I said, yeah, kind of like a forced birth for people who don't want it. And he paused and he looked at me and like I could see it sinking in. And he said, I, I never thought of it from that perspective before. And I said, I would not want to live in a society that ever showed up on somebody's door and forcibly aborted a woman against her will. And I do not want to be living in a society where people forcibly want to make somebody bear a child against their will. It's the same thing. And he said, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, I guess he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, that's why... I believe the way that I do, because I want your 22-year-old hypothetical granddaughter to be able to be happy and have her baby. And I don't, I want this 22-year-old hypothetical person to 
not be made miserable by being forced to carry a child she doesn't want. That's actually one of the best pro-choice arguments that I've uh, heard. So way to go. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll take that. That that works. <laughs> you have to be able to set the scenario. And like, I could tell that he, you know, with me in his imagination and the emotional impact of that um, got through his whatever his moral objections were and um to hit people on you know i, I have a theater degree i'm a social worker um the, my undergrad degrees was psychology and theater so I, I use that storytelling i can try to engage people on that level it has to be to have an emotional connection because the logic you'll get nowhere the talking about religion nowhere 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 you have yeah. to be able to find a way into that emotional thing you can talk people in circles for an hour the fact that these abortion laws don't even reduce the number of abortions statistically and 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 it doesn't they you're never going to get through them with that i i think that's a lot more um you know, making emotional connections, whether, you know, sort of direct and personal or more hypothetical is a lot more powerful um, of a tool. But the Democratic women on this floor were using their personal stories and, you know, we're up there like weeping and the Republicans were literally checking their fingernails. It just it was it's so frustrating. They closed their and one of the Democratic presentations was you don't care. Yeah. You are sitting there, you're not listening. That's being said. It's obvious you don't give a shit. Teresa Fetter um, is a representative who also represents a part of Toledo. I think it's more inner city. Um, she was a state representative at the, that time. Now she's in the state senate, I believe. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, uh, she, like, um, confessed that she had been raped on the state floor and the uh, state house republicans some of them laughed at her you know they they have no simply unbelievable they have mm -hmm. no like, holy shit they they're straight up like just i mean the, the term gets used a lot but i mean with the ohio republican party it's just straight mask off like they're just we don't care about women we we don't care about working people we're going to do whatever the hell we want and it doesn't matter because none of you pay attention to law. And it's it's absolutely repugnant. And part of the reason I'm so passionate about getting Derek Marin off uh, uh, out of that seat is because he's one of the most awful. Um, there was a, a woman who came forward. Um, I think it was it might have been just one person. I'm not sure. Uh, who were um, basically talking about things that had gone on uh, from state house Republicans. And one of the things that came out was. Um, Somebody was talking about, um, you know, crime um, near the southern border, and Derek Marin mm. said something along the lines, Mexicans are violent people. And he took $2,500 from the founder of ECOT, a charter school that defrauded Ohio taxpayers and Ohio public schools of millions of dollars for his own personal enrichment, and he's never faced like any real public criticism for it. And frankly, that's absurd. And I absolutely look forward toward to kicking his ass out of Columbus <laughs> and making him go 
go to the Coke Foundation to try and find a lobbying job so he can <laughs> stop sucking off the teat of the Ohio he'll, tax. He'll be, on, he'll be on Prager U. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Making videos about how the Holocaust isn't real. Like, just some... <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> you asked about the demographic in the in my district. Um, Fulton County is pretty much totally rural with little smaller towns. And the water issue as it applies to them um, is that there's an aquifer under their land that is under part of Ohio, part of Indiana, and part of Michigan. And it's the source of drinking water for like 9 million people. They do not want their aquifer sold off to the highest bidder, which is part of what is being uh, talked about. When we had the problem with the Lake Erie algae bloom, some of the outlying suburbs started com having conversations with um, a mayor who has drilled a pipeline down into the aqua, whether or not they wanted to buy that water versus go in with Toledo for a regional water uh, program and have to pay kind of a, an upcharge for improvements to the water plant to process the water, make sure that it was safe to drink. And all of those improvements were I don't know how many millions of dollars, but that was going to be spread out and they were interested in seeing if they could cut a better deal. All of those suburbs have since decided that it would be burdensome to try to build a 40 mile pipeline to get this aquifer water to the Toledo area. Um, they weren't concerned at all about what the hell would happen to all the wells for the farmers and the people that live out there. Yeah. But at, at least that threat has been eliminated for the people in Fulton County, but now the threat is from Nestle Corporation and some other companies that are talking to this guy who thinks he has the right to pump this water out and sell it to a corporation. Um, in terms of what I would do, supporting those people, ballot initiatives are getting harder and harder to put on the ballot. Uh, Williams County did try to do that to block this kind of action, and they were summarily thwarted in doing that. And essentially, uh, it worked out that they were told they, they don't have a say. It's yeah. just so frustrating that even something as necessary as your source of water is not being protected and that people... Mm -hmm try to use the mechanisms that are open to them and still are pushed back and told, no, corporations are going to have the upper hand. Um, I don't know if they're supposed to move someplace else. If they don't have water, it, it's ridiculous. But whatever I could do at the state level to keep that from happening is what I would be interested in doing. I think we have time to quickly touch on one more big topic. Um, on your website, you mention Medicare for All saving the people of Ohio a massive amount of money. A lot of times when people talk about Medicare for All, especially in the mainstream media, it is framed around how much it's going to cost. Um, so could you explain from your perspective why this is going to save money? 
I because I think that more people need to hear these kinds of arguments. We spend now twice as much on our health care per person than people do in countries that have a single payer system. Approximately $10,000 per person goes out toward our health care and 5,000-ish is kind of average for what other countries spend. So 17 or 18% of what we spend on our healthcare budget goes to inefficiency and profit for the pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies. And when you look at how is it gonna cost less you take that out of the equation and you are just spending healthcare dollars on healthcare. Medicare has about a two to 3% at most administrative cost. So it's about 24% uh, and sometimes even higher on private insurance. So the savings is, that's where that's coming from. If there is a single payer where the government is the one that's paying the bills, but the hospitals, the doctors maintain their private status and get to do their thing, but do not have to be engaged in all of the bill, billing craziness that goes on and all of the, um, is this going to be covered? Is this not covered? It's an exchange between the doctor and the patient and what is needed is done it's streamlined and the expectation is that it will cost most people two thousand dollars less per year to have a single payer system now people that are making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and above would be paying more into the system it's similar to the wealth tax oh no how will they survive Yes, but yes. even then, even then, that's only in the uh, the cost of insurance. That doesn't factor in the cost of actual um, expenses on uh, health services. So, for a lot of those people earning over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, once you take into account um, what they're actually paying for healthcare right now, not just health insurance, mm-hmm. even a lot of them are going to end up saving money. Um, it's not until you get real, real up there uh, that people will start paying more, like real terms. Does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nancy Larson, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, Me too. You are a, a passionate speaker. You have a lot of commitment to what you're doing. And you're just, you're the kind of person I love to see in politics personally. I think our audience will feel the same way. Thank you so much. I just, I, I am. I am very committed to this. And I, one of the th- ways I'm looking at this is that all I can do is my best and get out there and however the people decide they will decide but i have a whole another year to be educating people to be answering questions to be trying to push the needle the way that i want it to go and regardless of whether i win that in and of itself i think is a valuable uh, way for me to spend the next year is there a primary is there a competitive primary is the party behind you nope um it's me Nobody decided to primary, and I will be on the ballot against Mr. Marin. Is the state party behind you? Have they been helpful? Uh, yes, yes. This, they... is, this is a place where you can vent about the Democratic Party if you feel like uh... it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I approach this that I 
was going to be myself and I wasn't going to tailor anything that I did or say to, you know, curry favor with the Democratic Party. I wanted their endorsement. I want to run as a Democrat because that's how I have voted for, you know, since I was 18 years old. But I also said in some rallies that if they decided I was too out there and they weren't going to endorse me, I'd run as an independent. She's been uh, very critical of Democrats who voted for uh, HB6, which was this big bailout for a handful of nuclear facilities mm. and coal plants. Yep. So uh, we're not interested in playing partisan games. Uh, Quinn, are you a socialist? Nancy, are you a socialist? I am absolutely a socialist, yes. He, he is absolutely. Um, I consider myself a DSA person at this point. Um, I'm a democratic socialist. I... <sighs> They piss me off when they do things that are injurious to the environment and I, the corporate Democrats who are little better than the Republicans just boil my blood. Um, mm -hmm. I think we safely feel very much the same way as, uh, as yeah. people who listen to this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I... I right or wrong i just feel like i need to be affiliated with them to try to you know to win this election but um like quinn said i i have been openly critical of the democrats who didn't vote to do things that i i think are are needed are needed um wh how, what's the the do you if do you know the lean of your district how republican is it how uphill is it for you to capture the seat Right now, it's plus four Republican. It was plus 17 Republican before the Dem person ran in 2018. And he closed the gap from seven, plus 17 to plus four. So it's considered a, a pink district and imminently flippable, I think, with what he was able to do on an $8,000 budget. Uh, Nancy, wow, can, you, can, can you talk yes. a little bit about what it would take for you to flip that district on an $8,000 budget or well, more or that, less or whatever that's the number's what going to be. Did. Yeah, I know. He, what? he moved it to from plus 17 to plus four, and he just raised 8000 from family and friends. We're at that right now. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I've been told that if I had $100,000, I'd be in decent shape, but Derek got... 125,000 from the Republican Party last year, and he has probably a quarter of a million dollars. I'm not spending five hours a day calling people and asking them for money. I want to spend that time out knocking on doors and talking to as many people as I can. Um, because the outreach to me, one on one, I think will earn me votes more than mailings and TV ads and whatnot. How many people are in your district? How large is it? Uh, it's um, a, a little, it's, it's around 100,000 people. Um, so. And 77,000 people vote. Yeah, it was about a 10,000 vote uh, margin last time around, which sounds like a lot. But um, I think that especially out in Fulton County, which is a more rural county, um, things like repealing the wind setback laws, which have prevented the construction of any new wind farms, um, and investing in rural communities is going to be a really powerful message because those people have been ignored for a very long time. And I, I think um, if we go and make our case that we're like actually fighting for them, I, I wouldn't 
assume that this is a solid Republican district by any measure. No, not at all. I mean, we've talked to other people that were running for state level positions that have managed to sway the needle in their state. And a plus four district of 100,000 people, you can go out there and change hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. It's possible. That's my plan. Can you talk about what people can do to join your campaign? Um, right now, um, we have a Facebook page and Twitter and NetBlue and a website. Uh, All right, you well, can... you tell us those things. Read them out loud to us, Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can go to our website at uh, nancy4for.us. Um, and uh, we're uh, Nancy for State House District 47 on uh on facebook and uh nancy uh yeah um and then what's the twitter, twitter what's the twitter yeah the twitter is uh nancy for ohio twitter.com slash nancy for ohio quinn uh do you have a personal twitter do you have anything that people want to like follow you at or whatever uh my twitter is it's quinn my dude uh on twitter he has more followers uh, <laughs> yeah oh i can i yeah i bet well, we're gonna he's change. A, he's a rock gonna, star. You've got a year, so Hopefully we're gonna we we're gonna change, change that. that. That's right. <laughs> you get in your place, Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> this this was an awesome interview. Yes, um, and all those links will, of course, be in the show notes. Okay. And um, yeah, um, Nancy Larson and Quinn Albright, both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was so enjoyable, and I love talking about this. I hope people are listening and getting fired up to get out there and vote in every election, in every precinct, in every state. Damn right. Good night. All right. With that, we have been Not Safe for Wonks. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.